Who knew we'd venture out to Minnesota? We had such a good time, but the snow was one iota. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Hand and Air Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. If you didn't get that, that means because we didn't see any snow. Um, I mean, falling from the sky. There was yeah, lots. There was of snow. lots of snow on the ground. Anyways, I'm Hannah. He's Eric. We shared this podcast to share our adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts, and anything that we discuss might be controversial. We want you to remember it's our own opinion, and it might be different from yours. I hope that was clear about the snow and the iota of, iota, iota yeah. of snow. There was there wasn't one iota of snow falling, falling yeah. from the sky. Just a lot of clarifications. Yeah. It's a, it's a song that requires an explanation. Those, it's the as, best kind of song. As do many songs. <laughs> um, I mean, there's that song from the Killers, the Are You Human or Are You Dancer? Yeah. Like, I still am expecting a... Uh, or is it denser? Like it's you're not. You're more dense than a human? It's not. No? No, I've looked up the lyrics. And, like, the artist said it's, like, it's very clear. I don't know why anybody's having trouble with I this. I don't know why anyone needs an explanation about being human or dancer. You know what? Because I do. Well, maybe we're not all as smart as you. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, a lot has happened in the last um, couple weeks. Um, yeah, uh, the, the biggest being um, the sexual assaults that we've heard about mm -hmm. um, started off with Aisha White in Atlanta, Georgia, um, wrote a huge blog about all of these assaults and harassment that she's faced. Um, by a member of the birding community. And that sparked several other survivors to come forward and discuss um, assaults that they've faced from other members of the birding community. And as a, um, as a result of um, these, other, these other women coming forward, um, we went back and through our catalog of episodes and we found a few episodes that had, uh, had a few of these men in, there, in the episodes. And uh, we have since uh, pulled those episodes from our... Um, catalog. From our catalog. And we are not uh, not going to promote those episodes or promote those people. And we absolutely stand behind Aisha White and anyone else, and, and all women, anyone else that's experienced any of these sorts of assaults or harassment or and anything, had, of, that, anything we, of that. And had we known, um, you know, that this this occurred then we wouldn't have interviewed those individuals and Absolutely. we apologize for any um additional trauma so the birding community is hurting right now um many people you know are reflecting upon experiences that they've had in the past i know i definitely have and you know there's some of us that are trying to find a way forward so we can create a more welcoming and inclusive birding community that's safer for everyone yeah absolutely it is these all of these things that have happened and continue to happen either un unspoken uh, about or even things that have been brought up and not addressed and dealt with are all atrocious and should not be occurring. You know, I think a lot of people feel especially hurt because they think the birding community is different and special yes. and like better than normal society. But this really goes to show us that, you know, there's a lot that the birding community has to work on. Absolutely. And um there's just so much to say about all that's happened. And, you know, I I hope that if you are hurting, if you're reflecting on circumstances that you faced in the past, I hope that you're able to find someone to talk to and feel um, safe and comfortable. And I look towards a future where survivors are believed and supported throughout our community. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely something to to work towards. So, also, uh, the hosting service that we use, Buzzsprout, they recently suffered a DDoS attack, which I guess is spreading throughout uh, podcasting service networks. So, uh, I'm not entirely sure what that means, other than that you might have not been able to download our episodes or access them uh, because of this attack. And uh, other networks, like I said, are starting to feel those effects as well. Yeah, so a DDoS attack is essentially a group of people or sometimes just a single person decides that uh, they just want to cause a bunch of mischief. It's not a type of hacking that um, steals data away from thing, away from uh, servers or companies or anything. It's essentially your server is a server that provides a service, um, like, like Buzzsprout, our hosting service. Um, people send requests to Buzzsprout in order to download 
a um, an episode of ours or an episode of somebody else's that's um, hosted through this service. Um, somebody that's performing a DDoS attack, they fire a thousand requests per second at the hosting service in order to try to um, pull episodes from everyone or anyone or something. And that over that overloads the servers and causes them to crash. And uh, it's basically just troublemakers that just want to stir the pot and be jerks about things. Um, it's DDoS stands for Distributed Denial of Service. Um, and it, it's like just like what I said, they, they hammer it full of requests and then it, the server overloads and says, okay, I can't handle that many requests. So it denies total service to everyone in order to not uh, cause corruption of data and stuff like that. So it's, I, th I think it's part of a failsafe, um, the server crashing so that you, it doesn't lose data, but it's not something that uh, hackers are actually getting personal data from. So it's really just a troublemaker sort of hack. Okay. Yeah, it's it's very annoying, but it's these people uh, <laughs> need to learn to go birding. Yeah, it, it, yeah, they do need to le learn to go birding <laughs> and go go outside and do something that's not uh, just troublesome causing chaos yeah yeah so so our, our the buzzsprout server was down for i think four days um maybe it was three like days. in and out of service. It, it was in and out of service over the last week so um if you had trouble getting our last episodes um that is why um if you didn't have trouble maybe you were lucky and went on those few time you had requests in those few times that it was up and up and running <laughs> okay um yeah. so our top listenership for our last episode um Ohio, you really knocked it out of the ballpark and gave me a <laughs> city name that I am sure to uh, to f screw up. Yeah. So I would pronounce it Hugh, Ohio. Eric seems to think it's pronounced Huff. Yeah, like like cough, but instead of a C Hoff. at the beginning, you just so have, like the Hasselhoff, like the Hasselhoff, yeah, something like that. Yeah, H O U G H. Yep. <laughs> it's like cough, but you know it's. Good job, Ohio. Ohio. You got me. I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Hannah's probably right. We'll, we'll see. No, I'm probably not. <laughs> so uh, you guys came in first, and then Columbus, Ohio, came in second. So thank you all for listening, as always. Um, <laughs> thanks for coming with the challenge of the, the name. Yeah, th thanks for getting a bunch of people <laughs> in a hard-to-pronounce name to listen to us. Yeah. So we also had a review. Yes, we did. Five-star five review from uh, Great Gray Hair... No, it's just Gray, gray Heron. Heron photo um, via Apple Podcast. Uh, they say, Hannah and Eric regularly keep me company on my commute, and I enjoy both their banter and their serious discussions. I really love hearing about their adventures, and being based in the UK, I'm slowly getting to know North American birds through their travels. Definitely one of my favorite birding podcasts, and I'm always really excited when a new episode comes out. Well, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. Yeah, seriously. We, uh, we really appreciate when people especially people outside of the United States, um, can get some sort of benefit from our fairly Amerocentric or US-centric US episodes. Yeah. But, you know, that's part of the beauty of birding. Like, it takes you worldwide. Exactly. And some of these things might not be applicable to, like, your travels. Um, you know, like, if you don't plan on coming to the US, the Biden-Harris episode might not um, necessarily be interesting to you, but I think it... it it broadens like what's going on in the world. Yeah, and it's they're they're all all of the episodes are generally about birds and bird adventures. Typically. So, <laughs> so anyways, this anyways. episode um, is fun. I'm excited because we went to Minnesota. Yes, we did our first trip that wasn't um, driving <laughs> in uh, over a year, basically. Yeah. Uh, COVID has really. Uh, Kind Change of the bu way. bungled everything up that we can't uh, bungled. Can't bungled. Yeah, that's a that's a good word. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's. I, I guess I was thinking of boggle, but <laughs> it's boggled things. We're gonna up, find you know? out that bungled is a bad word, and it's oh like it's gonna make this episode explicit. It might. Yeah, but I, I guess I was thinking of boggle. Like you I, know, you click it, and then uh -huh. the letters flip up. Jumbled. Jumbled. Yeah. You were just so mixing travel, those word together. Yeah. So travel has been messed up for a while. So, anyways, um, so we. Zach Zimbog, and I'm just going to keep saying it, like, blah, 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 Zach Zimbog. You just pronounce it very fast. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this is a location that I've heard about for years. Um, 
you know, birders, when they talk about places that they're going, there's, there ends up being like just a handful of different locations. And, you know, this is cool because we've checked off a couple bucket list places mm-hmm. this year, like with Tucson, well, I guess that was in December, but also going up to this location was yeah. a bucket list location. Um, and it's a place that's in the movie, The Big Year. You're right. It is. We're slowly yeah. checking those We're, off. We, we got to check all of those off. We've. <laughs> We we've done we've done a couple of the things prior to uh, like really paying attention. We lived down the Rio Grande Valley, went to the Brownsville dump. We went on a, a pelagic with Debbie Shearwater. We we when we lived in Houston area, we went to High Island. Yeah. Now we've gone to Zaxxon Bog. I'm there's got to be some. We need to watch the movie. Again. I, we need to rewatch it so we can check off all the places. <laughs> uh, anyways, so my friend Molly, or our friend Molly, um, who was on a previous episode, she just casually posted on our Facebook, like, maybe two months ago, like, hey, I'm thinking about going to Minnesota and, you know, seeing birds. And there were a handful of people that were like, me too, me too. (laughs) And I was like, uh, yes, heck yes, we would love to go. Not that she invited us at all. We invited ourselves along. Um, (laughs) But then, so a handful of us met up in Minnesota, Zaxxon Bog is the location, and had a fantastic time. Leading up to it, though, like, I was super stressed about the weather because we've never been in, like, negative degrees before, and, you know, we were checking the weather, like, every day, and, like, the weekend that we were going to go, it was, like, going to be 20 degrees, you know, Positive the 20. low. <laughs> or maybe it was the high. It was 20. Yeah. And as we got closer and closer, that low kept dropping, and it got all the way to, like, negative 20 is what it said. Um, yeah, what it on, said it was supposed to be. Yeah. So I was stressed leading up to it. I I was excited. So I I typically, I generally like the cold weather more than I like the hot weather. I was not very happy when we were living in Texas weather-wise. Like, I, I, I dealt with it, you know. I just, it is what it is. But uh, I love the cold weather. And I... I was not super stressed. I we I bought a um a pair of pants that had like flannel lining. flannel inside them, and that's all I bought extra from what I already have. Um, I bought you like uh uh long johns. Well, I didn't use them. But... Oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> I used them. I I I ended up like realizing like oh I probably don't need these, and so so I just I didn't I had I had my pants that had like flannel lining, and then a sweatshirt and a jacket. Okay. <laughs> But I, I was I was super excited to go deal with like negative negative Fahrenheit like it was kind of that's almost a bucket list thing like going out, going out and going outside and negative forty degrees yeah and sticking your tongue to a flagpole oh that's not that's not part of it <laughs> so anyways um, we prepared all our stuff and took off um, flying there we flew there through Delta which was fantastic you mm-hmm. know they didn't require COVID tests. So yeah, so no no COVID test, no no COVID test required, um, which is kind of kind of standard across all the airlines um, at this time now because there's no requirements for entry for different states. Um, even Hawaii has um, eliminated a lot of their um, restrictions for entry. Uh, the CDC has made some modifications fairly recently to what they recommend airlines do. I'm not super happy with. The way they do it, but it's I'm not a CDC scientist, so I don't or a policymaker, so I don't really know what what there is. Um, some of the things that they um, they mentioned through their requirements is um, 100% mask usage on the plane. Um, if when they're doing food service, it's not uh, free for all. Like oh, as soon as the food's out, you can just take your mask off. It is very strictly enforced that if you're going to eat something, you take it, take a bite, put your mask right back on. And chew with your mask on and process with your mask on and then take it off for a bite or a sip or whatever and then put it back on. But um, the one thing that Delta did above and beyond the CDC recommendations for airlines is that they're still only selling two-thirds capacity. So all the middle seats are empty or empty-ish to the point where they're only selling two out of three seats per um, side. So so the whole plane is essentially two-thirds occupancy. And they obviously followed all the masks and stuff. So it was, on the way there, it was awesome. The plane was actually, le- it was probably about half full, I would think. Because there was, Maybe. the row in front of us was entirely empty. The row behind us only had one person. So there was, it, it was it was really nice. It's not great for their pocketbook, but it's also, like, 
it's nice that they're looking out for our safety as passengers that they want to keep occupancy as low as possible on the plane. So that was nice. I gotta say nice a hundred times about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was um, so we actually had a lot of trouble finding flights back. So we booked it as two different legs for some reason. I can't remember why. But on the way back, we had um, one flight that was canceled, which I imagine was kind of rolled into another flight, you know, mm-hmm. because they didn't meet whatever minimum they had. Um, and then yeah, so there there were several issues with flights that I you know I attribute to COVID because of, you know, like lack of interest in flying at the moment. Yeah. So I, I attribute it all to the fact that the, um, or not the fact that, cause I don't know, I don't know what the facts are of, of their sales, but show um, us the facts. Show us the facts. No, I, I, I attribute it to that. They didn't fill up the flight to their expected capacity. So then they just rolled it to another flight. So the flight on the way back was United and it was completely full. I think there was like two seats empty. Yeah. So that flight wasn't so great, but Delta was, um, so we were happy with that. We got there, got our rental car, and kind of panicked a little bit because we asked at the desk. We were like, because we're from Oregon, you know, and it doesn't snow a ton where we're at, and it does get icy sometimes. So in Oregon, a lot of people have, um, they're not... They're not snow tires. So, They're so studded tires. Studded tires and snow chains are things that are two things that are used very frequently in Oregon. Okay, and a lot of people in Oregon call studded tires snow tires, which yes. apparently are a different thing. So we get to the the car rental place because mm-hmm. that's where all our problems usually are. Yeah. Well, um, that, if if a problem's going to happen, it's going to happen <laughs> at the car rental right before you actually start your adventure. So. <laughs> So we ask her. No problems this time, though. Just confusion. We ask the the person at the front desk, like, okay, so we're going up into, like, a rural area. Are there snow tires or are there chains, you know, for the car? And she's like, well, there's no snow tires and chains are illegal in Minnesota. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to (laughs) die because we don't know how to drive in this kind of condition. But we got on the road and it was, everything was clear and dry and yeah. hadn't snowed or rained or anything no, like that. No, Minnesota days. does have to deal with their roads. Like it was, it was negative seven when we landed and it didn't go above zero Fahrenheit the entire time. It was very chilly the entire time, <laughs> but all the roads, there was ice all over all the roads. But it was like compacted or impacted with gravel or however, or it was just so cold that it was sticky, but it was like roads were not slippery at all. It was, there was, you drive a little bit slower, you kind of avoid high speed turns or slam it on the brakes and stuff. And I had zero issues driving all the whole weekend we were there. It wasn't a problem at all. In despite the fact that we just had just regular, I think they were all terrain tires, but they were just regular tires on the SUV that we rented. Yeah, we did go with the SUV just for, you know, we thought that would be a little safer. So we drove about three hours up to um, Alesche's Accommodations, which is the kind of the main hotel I think most people try to stay in when they go to Zaxenbog. It's because it's really the only hotel yeah. that's within a reasonable drive of all the locations. It's, it's like the only place that's a, that has accommodations within the bog yeah we're within the confines of the bog i think the next place out was like 45 minutes northwest and then after that the next closest is all the way down in duluth which is over an hour to the east something like that um so the the hotel was interesting um you know we we own a hotel and I feel like I should be a lot better about, like, small hotels than I am. Because normally we just kind of go on orbits and, like, book the cheapest thing or the most yeah. reasonable thing. Um, but this location is actually a lot like our hotel. Yeah, <laughs> that, it's very similar. And I think, I, I would have to check this, but I think it used to be, like, a Christian camp that was then purchased by this couple that made it into a lodge. And so there's actually, like, four... I think four or five different buildings on the property and the, we stayed in the North, we stayed in the North Lodge. Yeah, North Lodge. And, um, it was interesting. It had an interesting setup because it had a kitchen downstairs that was a shared kitchen. And I mean, it, it was basically a house. It was like a large house. So there was a kitchen and then this really beautiful, huge living room, dining room situation, and then stairs up stairs that went to the second floor to upstairs stairs that go upstairs <laughs> imagine that <laughs> and there were um five bedroom different rooms up there different 
bedrooms and then a shared bathroom for some of the rooms. So Yeah, so out of the five, um, three of them had their own bathroom and two of them had that shared bathroom. But it was, I almost felt like it was like staying with family on holidays, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so one night, or two nights, we had a shared bathroom situation and mm-hmm. then the third night we had a, a room that had two twins and then its own bathroom. So you can kind of mix and match. It's a little wacky. Um, but it was just a beautiful location that had feeders out, very nice owners. Um, not entirely what I'm used to. Uh, but you know, which which is funny because it's the way they, the way they run their operation is very similar to how the Seabreeze court has operated. Yeah. So the, the place that we run. And so it's kind of like, Oh, so it's it felt it felt weird being on the other side. Of, yeah, I like, guess so. The of the other side of our operations, essentially, like like oh, okay, well, like yeah, it's it's super trusting, super friendly, easy to get along with, and just go in, sleep, do your do your business, mind your own, yeah, just have a good time and go home. It was just kind of funny when I made the reservation um, because I told the gal on the phone like I don't know what time we're gonna check in. You know, we're gonna be out birding. She was like. Yeah, everybody does that. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that this was <laughs> such a big thing here. It's the birding hotel for the area. <laughs> um, but somebody has suggested it to us. And so the the group of us that were up there, we all stayed at this location. Mm-hmm. I was concerned about the like shared kitchen situation because I've never done that. And it worked out really fine. You know, some people made their own meals and we got like sandwich stuff. So we kind of just ate sandwiches. Eric bought a bunch of frozen burritos. So that all worked out really well. Yeah. I, I had some concerns, um, COVID wise that were all in, all in one house and there's just one, one area, but the house or the, the lodge building itself with only five, with, with only five, with the five rooms that were upstairs, like it was very easy to stay socially distanced from each other. And the kitchen, the way it was kind of arranged, you could see from a distance the, into the kitchen. So if someone was in there, you just don't go into the kitchen. And then you just wait until they're done. And then you go in and go in afterwards. And then the whole living dining room area was big enough that everyone that was staying at the lodge all at once, we were able to distance ourselves out and have well more than six feet between us. And just stay stick away from each other. And then masks, of course, when we were kind of wandering around not eating. <laughs> So we got there, checked in, all good, and we were um, on a what's WhatsApp conversation or Facebook messenger, I can't remember which, conversation with the other folks that were going to be with us, and then Greg, who um, is a listener of our show, and we met him at the Rio Grande Valley, mm-hmm. and I was joking because he's one of the, the two-stater people that I have seen now in two different states, <laughs> because I keep a list on that sort of thing. Um, anyways, he was wonderful and joined us to help orient us and guide us around the the bog yeah and, and he had he has a guiding service uh birding with greg that that he runs he runs um trips Normally. up to the bog he runs he does trips all around minnesota so he's de- he's definitely very knowledgeable and he was a lot of fun to have have with us out there yeah so he met us at the lodge gave us a walkie-talkie and then we went out looking for owls and the whole way out to the site for the owls, he just had so much wonderful information about the site and about, you know, the owls and how to look for them. So that was a lot of fun. It it was, it was fun, but I'll I'll be honest, like when he was like saying stuff, like when you're face to face with somebody and like doing like the kind of social niceties or affirmations, just, uh uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Like those sorts of things make sense when you're sitting face to face with somebody, but when you're driving at 40 miles an hour, like in a different car from them and they're, and they're telling you over the radio, it feels awkward to pick up the radio and just say, huh, <laughs> over, like, or, oh, that's interesting, over, like, that's, that's kind of, uh, it, it, it felt awkward trying to do that, but he had so much, so much information, um, history and the history, future, present, what's going on with the bog, how it's, the names, all, all, all that stuff, and where to find the owls, how to get to the, all that stuff. It was ton, tons of great information from him. So we went out and we looked for the owl, but before we talk to you about that, I want to tell you a little bit about the site itself. 
That's, so, okay. that's that's probably better to preface <laughs> preface what this place is that we went. Well, I found it really confusing <laughs> because like you can look at the map and you just see this big square and you're like, oh, that's a park. No, it's no. not. So Zach Zimbog is it's like there's crossroads of Zach's Sax Street. I should be able to say that. I played saxophone. S A X. I just um there's a crossroad of Sax and Zim, and that's you know, no, kind of Saxon Zim go east and west. Oh, they're and parallel. they're parallel okay. to each other. Got it. And then there's Highway Five and Highway Seven that go north and south. And from so that's the boundaries. Approximately, that's the boundaries ish of this area. On on Google Maps, that's what it pulls up as the boundaries. Got it. But that's not that that that's what that's how Saxon Bog. Sax Zim Bog. <laughs> you too. I know, yeah, me too. Got, got its name is Alf Sax Street and Zim Street. It's And, and then I, the bog in the middle of it. And the bog in between. So this whole section of land is about 300 square miles of space on the map. And it's not owned by a single person. It's not a park. It's not a refuge. It is land tracks of public land where birders and photographers can come and also locals and the friends of Saxon Bog will set up feeders. Um, but a lot of it is privately owned too. The friends group, they only own 524 acres of it, but they have a lot of land deals as well with like private landowners and then different organizations to, to manage projects and provide mm -hmm. this space for birders to be able to go see. Yeah. And they're, and they're currently working on some deals to purchase larger chunks of this area to protect it more, uh, to more officially protect the, um, the bog and the habitat that, that's there. And also to provide, um, species, uh, like great grays and Connecticut warblers and woodpeckers and chickadees, um, uh, with breeding habitat as well, because a huge chunk of the track is black spruce and tamarack. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those species could easily be logged. And then the, those, spe those species of birds wouldn't have a place to breed. Yeah. So the, while they're, they still, they only own a small fraction of that total land that's up there. There's so many of the cooperative um, landowners that are just they're They like having birders up there because it brings money to the businesses. The, the few businesses that are up there it brings money in. It's, and the birders in general are well-behaved and friendly. Well, and so. so that's that's the interesting thing about this location. Because, you know, and we faced this um, when we went to go look for the collared plover mm -hmm. down in the Rio Grande Valley. That it was on private property and people weren't being respectful to the private landowners. Yeah, that's true. And so they were, you know. There, there's a fine line that when it's when something is on private property... That one person can ruin it for the rest of everyone. Yeah. One, one person being a jerk, one person not paying attention to the requests of the landowner. Um, down there, there was people that were not uh, that the the farmer wanted to um, spray his cotton fields so that he could start harvest, and he very small window of opportunity to be able to do that. But the there was a few birders, not very many, a very small number of birders that would not get out of the way for him to do that. And so I think I think he ended up just shutting it down and said, "Okay, everyone has to go." I think so. But um, that's unfortunate when a small number of birders have to ruin the um, the cooperativeness of landowners for the greater good of yeah. all well, birders. But it, it happens. It doesn't seem to be some a problem that they're experiencing up at Saxon Bog, though. But they also, you know, realize that they can't be the police of everybody. Mm -hmm. And so they just really ask folks to, um, you know police themselves yeah and uh you know be good neighbors and have birding etiquette like don't be taking pictures in people's windows yeah <laughs> that sort of thing F fairly simple no duh like r regulations and rules that they want people to um stipulations to, for them to follow um which they have all of that published on the um the friends of zax and bog website so, like Eric was saying, you know, those boundaries of the the property, Saks Road, Zim Road, Highway 5 and Highway 7. So, there's a couple locations where you, where these birds that we wanted to go see tend to hang out. Mm -hmm. And so, we got there late. Greg was like, hey, let's go look for owls before, you know, too late. And so, we headed off to Highway 7, which mm -hmm. is the best place to get owls. Um, and it's kind of a peculiar thing because there's like, you know, these two areas that you move in between and, you know, from this road to this road are kind of the boundaries of where great grays are normally seen. 
And so people just like slowly, even though it's highway, we weren't going highway speeds the whole time. They just slowly kind of troll back and forth on the highway looking for the owls. It's, it's like a three mile stretch or so, or maybe four miles. And it was like literally like 50 or 60 cars just kind of all just kind of passing each other. You're passing <laughs> the same cars over and over and over back and forth as people drive back and forth. Um, because this area of the highway is a really, really good spot for the owls, um, the great gray owls to be seen. And it's also, in addition to be a good spot for them to be seen, it's also a really safe spot for the owl to be seen by people because there's a separation between the road and where the habitat starts, where it's a big open area. So the first perch, the the closest perch that uh, um, the great gray can land on for us to just all of a sudden see is like five or 600 feet away from the road. Yeah. So it's, it's a good distance away from the road and it's, it's, I, I guess, fairly well protected from photographers that want to not be great, great, uh, etiquette followers and stuff. Cause you can't, you just can't get over to it. Like you're that, that owl is out in the distance. Well, so the, the first day when we saw the owls, mm-hmm. like the sun had pretty much already set. So it wasn't great viewing, but we saw one and we all got out of the car and it was like right next to the road, you know, as close yeah, as we as could get. As close as they'll get. Yeah. And great view. And then it flew away. We were like, dang it. <laughs> and, you know, we're, but we were excited. So we were like, okay. It was a really good look, too, for I like know. for like the 15 seconds that we stared at it. It's like, oh, my gosh, there he is. Ah. And then he flew. <laughs> <laughs> so then trolling a little bit more, looking for another one. There was one on the west side of the highway, but like just way, way back there, probably like a mile back mm-hmm. on the side of the highway. And as we were like sitting there looking at it, a, there's a train track on that side of the highway. A train <laughs> came through and Eric and I, you know, first day and negative temperatures, we're both just wearing our jackets and, you know, pants or whatever and no beanie, no gloves. And a train came past and oh my gosh, just about froze our ears off. Yeah. I thought I was going to lose my ears. Yeah. Like it was so cold just because the wind was just whipping, whipping by so fast with that train flying by and... Then the scope tripod set out there. Yeah. And it was just, it was so cold. It was miserable. And so it was like, all right, well, I am getting back in the car and turning the heat on and going back to the hotel because I am cold. So got back to the hotel. Actually, we went grocery shopping in the only grocery store. It was like the kind of place where there's only one of every item on the shelf. Yeah. So that's another, that's a good reminder. If you go up there and and you're planning on staying at like a Lush's, um, go to, um, go to stop in Duluth and grab some groceries on the way in or something because, or, or plan that it's a half hour drive out to get to the nearest store for groceries. So it's kind of know that you're going to an area that doesn't have groceries. We were just so excited. We didn't do that. And also because we didn't really know what we were getting into. We didn't want to like buy all this food and then like, you know, and then not have space in the refrigerator or not have pots to cook with or Mm -hmm. or whatever at the hotel. So you do have all that if you stay at a Leche's. So you can definitely stop at Walmart or whatever the grocery store is there and buy stuff for spaghetti or whatever. Yeah. So then, um, next day got up super early to go look for the owl again. Um, all of our friends joined us. So, and some of them hadn't seen the owl yet. So we were like, go and trolling for the owl. We got to get the owl. Um, so, so Greg took us back out to, uh, to highway seven. We trolled back and forth on highway seven. Um, so the best times to see it out there is right at sunrise or right at sunset. Um, after, after that, it's too dark. You can't see anything. Um, in the middle of the afternoon, it's too bright, and the owl doesn't like to hunt in the middle of in, in the middle of the bright sun, so it hunkers down somewhere to wait until it's not so bright. Um, and it was a clear, sunny day, so there was there was no way we were going to see it at, once the sun came all the way up. So we we trolled back and forth for a long time looking looking for the owl before uh, giving which, up <laughs> before giving up, which we which we didn't see it that morning. But we did see another lifer. We, we saw did. a northern shrike yeah, on the northern top shrike. of a tree. It took us going to Minnesota, and actually that morning was the coldest morning of all of them. It was negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which I don't need to specify Fahrenheit for that one, because that's the the meet point where Fahrenheit and Celsius come together. You all, he was so excited about I was I was this. very excited about, about, about getting to negative 40. It's such a nerd. I It's the coldest, and we, we had to get out of stand and 
be like, oh, it's cool. Look at this. Okay, now let's get back in the car and keep driving. Because um, the car said negative 40. And it's like, okay, we have to we have to get out now and feel this. But anyways, it was it was very cold. And um, But the birds. Birds are still out and about. We, we stopped after looking for the owl, which we didn't see. We moved on to... Um, the Admiral Feeders. The Admiral Feeders, which is literally just... It's Admiral Road. And it's just some random feeders that uh, the friends of Saxon Bog um, manage. manage. And it's just on the side of the road. And so we stood there for a long time. And, oh my gosh, the birds life just... Lifer after life after life. No. <laughs> there was just one lifer on that one. Um, just pine grosbeaks, beaks. But there were so many of them. And I, it's just so weird that, like, you can put this, like, feeder out and birds just come to it. Which is... It's just it's wild to me. Over, like, it was... I think it was, like, negative 30... 30-ish when we were there. And it's, I don't know what consistency peanut butter has at negative 30 (laughs) degrees, but there was peanut butter smeared all over the logs and there was lots of suet and lots of just random, just bird seed and stuff that birds like, just all all sorts of bird feed things. If you, if you want to know what to feed birds, we had an episode, a couple, couple episodes back about backyard bird feeding, but lots of bird stuff to feed birds out there. Mostly fatty stuff fats and peanut butter and stuff but they're the birds are just eating it up and like i, I would imagine peanut butter at negative 30 would be rock solid but apparently no. not apparently it's still creamy um so anyways at that site we had danny woodpeckers hairy canada jays black cap chickadees red breasted nuthatch and then just dozens of pine gross beaks which Tons are just absolutely gorgeous which, which it started off with just like three females just hanging out there and um one of our friends that was with us, Forrest, he he's he had mentioned that he had never seen a male. And so I was like, oh, I'm, it must be really exciting to see a male. And then all of a sudden, like, this whole flock of males fly in. And it was like, oh, and they're super bright red. Like, it was really, really cool looking birds. And it was like, ton, it was like 50-50 split male and female of pine gross beaks just feeding all over the road, like, really close to us. And then up in the trees and back and forth, back and forth. It was... It was awesome, especially especially for a lifer to be like that close and that that exciting for and not even having to leave the country to get a lifer. So we went on to the next feeders mm-hmm. on McDavitt Road, and there wasn't a whole lot because it was kind of in the shade, and so I think it was a little too cold for the birds still. Um, but there were black capped chickadees and evening grosbeaks, and then we headed off to Mary Lou's feeders, which is one of the like key sites that you have to go see yeah. when you're there. And this is just a, a woman's house that has a bunch of feeders in her front yard. And, you know, she's got a, a porta potty, which is fantastic, that has a heater in it. It has, like, a bunch of hand sanitizer, like, cleaner and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, she does, you know, take donations to support that sort of thing and then sell some, like, woodwork if you ever want to check that out. Mm-hmm. But it was just such a cool place. That's the good place to go and get uh, rock pigeons and uh, starlings and house, and house sparrows. And then we also had more evening gross beaks there. Yeah, and so that um, Mary Lou's place is one of the examples of um, places that people, or, or is an example at, at the bog of places that people need to make sure they're policing themselves. Because um, the neighbors straight across the street from Mary Lou um, don't appreciate birders pointing their optics at their at their house and they have a sign that says such yeah saying we're not birders or i, I think it said like birders not welcome or something so, so, something like that so it's it, but we saw them while we were there the, the homeowners or the people that are living there were there when we were there at one point they just got out of the car did their thing so as long as you're not bothering them not pointing your optics at their house and standing over on their side of the road then then everything's fine you just stay at mary lou's house look at her feeders and then leave and it was good so then we moved on to the Welcome Center, um, which is this really neat building, and I'm so disappointed it wasn't open when we were there, but, yeah. you know, on their website it says that it's a small location, and so they don't feel, you know, they can't really do it COVID safe. Yeah, and, and we, totally we, knew, we knew it wasn't going to be open going into it. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a shock to get there and have it COVID closed. Yeah, and outside of it, so out in front of the, the Nature Center there, or the Welcome Center, there's a bunch of feeders, and one thing that you'll see with the feeders up there is that they have a lot of, like, deer carcasses, mm-hmm. and that's because, you know, and chickadees eat it, which yeah. just seems really weird, um, but these species that are in these really cold areas, they need fat, and they need to, you know, pack it on because they're out in the cold without a jacket on, and... <laughs> yeah, none of, the, none of the birds are wearing jackets. It was weird. <laughs> Surprisingly. Um... <laughs> 
So that's one thing that you'll notice when you're up there. Yeah, and it's... I, I, I definitely... I was very shocked to see that they had just, like, deer carcasses that they were feeding with. Because I, I think of that as vultures and stuff yeah. like that. But the it's so cold that the meat doesn't go bad. Mm-hmm. So they're just eating frozen meat off... Frozen meatsicles. And the... It's... I, it shouldn't be surprising because we feed suet and a lot of times suet has rendered beef fat. Yeah, like, but I think of it as like, you know, just vegetable lard. Yeah. But, yeah. But I mean, I mean, like when you get down to like thinking about the details, it's like, oh, it shouldn't be that surprising. It is surprising to see see a bunch of chickadees like eating off of a, off of a deer carcass sitting on a, on a post, but... So we got to the Bog uh, Welcome Center, and there's a half-mile trail that's like this beaten snow path through to a set of feeders that's, like I said, half a mile away, and that's one of the best places to get boreal chickadee. And we hiked out there. I almost slipped several times because I just can't walk on snow, apparently. And and there's something about your boots that they were very slippery and very loud (laughs) on the snow. I did sound like I was walking on high high heels on styrofoam. (laughs) Yeah, it was like... And it was like, how are her boots so loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so I got out to the feeders, stood there for like maybe 15, 20 minutes. There were um, black cap chickadees, white-breasted nuthatch, evening grosbeaks, more pine grosbeaks coming into the feeders. There's not a whole lot of feeders. It's not a big space. Um, so, but we were all just sitting there waiting to see if it was going to come in. And just as Greg was like okay, guys, I think maybe we should head back. And... Yeah, he, he, I think he said, we've been here about 20 minutes. Uh, how long do you guys think we should hang out more? And then all of a sudden, Molly's like, oh, there it is. <laughs> and, and, and the there, boreal chickadees were back. There it was. So all, all it takes is is uh, a partial give up. And that's, <laughs> that, that's, how you, that's how you can get the birds to show up. Yeah, and um, so one of the, the cool things about being up there is that there is a WhatsApp group that you can be a part of that um, is everybody messaging about what birds are seeing and where. So mm-hmm. it's in real time, you know, that you can figure out where these birds are being seen. It's not WhatsApp. It's called Telegram. Sorry. It's it's another one of the um, the messaging, messaging services. services. So there's there's WhatsApp, GroupMe, Telegram. Uh, Slack. Slack. There's just all of these different services that offer. Um, most of them are end-to-end encryption things messaging services but telegram is just another one of them if you're not familiar with telegram so we all got on that and then um got the boreal chickadee got back to our cars had a snack saw that uh common red poles and hoary red poles were being seen at the admiral feeders so we went back there and (laughs) as you're probably gathering like this is a lot of driving from place to place like we said it's 300 square miles of this location and so you of, of boggy habitat yeah so you do have to like do a fair bit of driving in between spots it's not a whole bunch of i mean depending on how you're birding like it's not a whole bunch of time at any given location like well, you know. so, well you, you can spend a lot of time there but because of how cold it is the human body is just not made to, to well, stand outside at meters that long a lot of people do just sit in their cars and you know bird watch from their car yeah. and we did that a fair we did that amount too yeah. but it's more fun you know to get out and set up your scope and i was taking a lot of uh co-scope pictures so i had to stand out there in the freezing cold which i also have my boots are um steel toe boots because that's <laughs> just what i bought and that Not, is total... d- didn't buy for this trip no, you no. already have them yeah, because I was thinking, like, I'm accident prone, so I better get something so if I kick a log, it's not going to break my toe. <laughs> um, but that turned out to be a mistake on this. <laughs> so definitely, if you are going up there, don't wear steel-toed boots because and, it, and get it'll actual, freeze your feet. get actual winter, like, insulated boots. Yeah. Because I, I have just a pair of work boots that I bought at Costco for 20 bucks, like... Two years ago, <laughs> and that, that those were my boots. So they they weren't uh, they weren't winter boots. Um, but another another thing about the cold weather and humans not being adapted and all that stuff is batteries are not adapted to negative forty degrees or negative thirty degrees. So have an extra set have have an extra battery for your camera, have a charger for your phone, for in, in your car because the cold weather suck, it makes the usage of the battery significantly more per photo or whatever you're doing with it. So my, while taking pictures of the boreal chickadee, I got maybe 40 shots off and then it killed my battery because it was so cold. And then I actually took my hand, took my glove off and warmed, warmed my battery in my hand for a little bit 
put it back in, and I got like ten more shots before it died again. So then, then, then I was out of battery for the rest of the day because I didn't, I don't have a second battery. Well, and if we're giving tips about you know what to do in these cold conditions, yeah. do not touch your spotting scope <laughs> tripod or anything metal with your bare hands. It is. It's like horrible, painful. It's like you're freezing. No, it's like you're burning to death. It's like it's fro- you're getting frostbite. It is. It is absolutely <laughs> awful. I mean, I I was carrying the spotting scope in my you know on my shoulder. I didn't put gloves on because it was like, oh, we're just going in between the car and you know this site that's like 15 steps away. Yeah. And so we were out there. My glove, my hands were in my pockets, so you know so they, they were warm. getting cold. And then I picked up the scope, and it was just like horrible pain (laughs) so always wear your gloves and you know get a carbon fiber um tripod because apparently ron said that's better right that's one one of our other listeners said that's uh the carbon fiber doesn't transfer heat as um as quickly into your hands it was awful so yeah so anyways, um, <laughs> went to the Admiral Feeders, got the Common and Hori Red Poles that were, were coming in. Like I said, it's kind of a lot of back and forth, um, different locations. Um, and then, you know, on that uh, telegram, when we were standing there, we got the, the word about the Northern Hawk Owl. Mm-hmm. So we got on Highway 7, because that's where it was Back in the car seen. again, <laughs> and, and head over to Highway 7. And saw a Northern Hawk Owl that could have been 100 miles, I don't know <laughs> how far out, but... Th- those following on Facebook probably saw the pictures Hannah posted of the Northern Hawk Owl. And it's, it's terrible. It's very tiny at a very large distance. When you looked through the scope, you could you could see details <laughs> well enough that it's a, this is definitely a Hawk Owl, but it, the picture quality from that distance is just impossible. So got that bird and then, you know, just kind of in between these locations, we uh, tried for the sharp-tailed grouse that day, Mm -hmm. dipped on that. Um, But the next day we did go out out and see it. And it was kind of funny because it's this couple's property that is not far from the Welcome Center at all. It's just kind of like down the road from there. But it's Uh, technically outside of the Google boundaries that we were talking about earlier. It's south of, um, what is that, Zach's? Saks Street or Sim- whichever one is the South Street, it's south of that. So it's it's technically outside of those boundaries. Yeah. So it, it's kind of another greater example of the that those boundaries aren't. You really know, we're set in probably stone. just confusing people more. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we had this the spot staked out, and we were like looking for the the grouse because I had looked at eBird and saw that people had been seeing it between like 9.45 and like 10.30 every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were there like 9 o'clock and, you know, Eric and I kind of like hunkered down like, okay, we're in it for the long haul. And then our the group that we were with, um, they kind of decided to go do other stuff. And we were like, well, you know, if everybody else is um, going to move on, then we will too. And so we got back on the highway to go to Alesha's and then Molly got a, got a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, uh, she, she texted us and said, Hey, I got a flat tire. So we, we whipped around and got back, met, met up with her to give, give, uh, her and, um, and Jimmy a hand getting that tire changed. Um, they changed it to the donut and then well, like as we were working on it, it actually it was kind of funny because we were like trying to work on it. They couldn't find the tools in their vehicle, and so we were using. They were in the, a really weird spot. They were, so we were trying to use the tools from our vehicle, which were not incompatible. And some guy stops uh, on the highway next to us, and he is in this big white truck. And he walks. He's this large man. Walks up with a tire iron, and he was like, "You all need some help." And it was like, "Oh my gosh." But super friendly, super guy. nice, guy. super nice guy, super it was friendly, kind of scary. And first. he was like, "Man, the craziest things always happen on my way to church." <laughs> yeah. I I always run into a car that's broken down on the side of the highway on my way to church. <laughs> so, um, I, which was super nice of him. Um, we got the as we were getting the tire change, we got the word that the grouse was out and about. And so. It was like, ah, oh, let's hurry up and change it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And we were like fifteen minutes from it. So, um, got the tire changed, went back, saw the bird. Um, you know, the owners were super kind as we were sitting there before and waiting for it to come out. Mm-hmm. The owner of the house, he went and put some more bird seed out on the ground. And then he drove his truck out of the, the driveway and kind of pulled next to us. And he was like, he's like, it should be here in the next few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and and it literally was. Yeah. We, we left and by the time... Like, probably 15 minutes after we left is when it popped back up again. Yeah. <laughs> or when, when it showed up. 
for the day. So I was like, oh, he he was exactly right. He's probably not a birder, but he's used to birders being there all the time. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be here soon. Don't worry. So that was really cool. Um, got that bird that we definitely wanted, and then headed over to Duluth. Because that's where Bohemian uh, wax wings yeah. are being seen, and also, you know, we were like, "When in Rome?" Yeah, you got you, you can't go to Wisconsin and or Wisconsin. <laughs> you, you can't go to Minnesota and only go to one hot spot. You, yeah, you got to try to do a little bit more. And it was so cool because we've never seen the Great Lakes, and they were the one that's there. Is that superior? <laughs> superior. It was frozen over, which is just like as far as we could see, it was just solid ice. And so Eric had to get out there, like, you know, a five-year-old boy, and start throwing rocks on the lake. <laughs> well, there was already rocks out there, so I thought, well, it's got to be okay to throw rocks, because there's already rocks. <laughs> so we, we stood there, I threw, I threw, I started off throwing ice. There was chunks of ice, I'd throw those. And they made a really cool pew, 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 pew sound <laughs> as he threw them. So it was, it was kind of cool. And so then I was like, I, I got more and more brave, so then I started throwing <laughs> rocks. And then I was like, I'll lob these rocks as high as I can to see if I can break them through the ice. But the wild thing was that he threw a rock that probably went like, what, 100 feet out? It was at least and 100 feet out, And then I threw yeah. another one, and it actually hit his rock. Yeah. It, it was like uh, um, like bocce ball or something. Or like curling. Like, it's, But 100 feet away, you just, you just like lob this rock out there, and it's just, pew, hits mine, and they both go scattered in That's two different directions. That's how good I am. <laughs> we were also looking for American black duck. Yeah. Um, did not find it. We actually, like, we could not figure out where ducks were going to be. Yeah. Because it was all ice. Everything we, was solid. It was frozen. But we kept seeing ducks fly around. And so then right near the, um, there was like an information center. Mm-hmm. We we saw the ducks like leaving from there. So we were like, we were going to figure this out. And we found like an outflow um, right behind that information Pro- probably center. Probably like a sewage treatment outflow fall. Well, or, there was an EPA oh, station right next to it, so yeah. I think it was coming through from that EPA station. Yes, yeah, so, so, some some sort of water processing something. But there were at a, that station. There was like two hundred uh, mallards, <laughs> like in this tiny little stream. That's yeah, it was like a fifteen foot by like twenty foot of like wa- liquid water, and they were just like dabbling like crazy and like milling about like ants or something. Just we couldn't pick out an American black duck. No, we we tried hard. And we, we tried to turn some of the darker female mallards into it, but we just didn't don't, don't have those powers to turn them that, that far over. And while we were doing that, Molly texted and she said that she had seen the Bohemian Waxwings on this random road mm-hmm. that was in the middle of like this, uh, you know, land plot area. And so we got out to the location. She was like, oh, they were just there. <laughs> they were flying all around our heads. Like, they're like, like in the they're movie like Crows. Dive, like, they were dive bombing us. The like, birds. The birds, yes. Hitchcock's the birds. Hitchcock's the birds. Yeah, they were, they were like flushing these, these bohemian waxwings out of their hair. And... <laughs> well, they weren't doing that when we were there. Um, <laughs> Molly and Jimmy left. They had to go get the, the tire that was getting fixed. Yeah, because they had driven, they, they because of the time, they had gone to see the sharp-tailed grouse on that donut, and then they went down, and they couldn't, the person wouldn't change, couldn't fix the tire yet, so then they left the tire with them, and then they had to, went out on the donut to go see the bohemian waxwings. So they drove all over the place at like 30 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, they left and, you know, there were, there were, it was so, it was getting so cold and there were just snow drifts all over the road, which was super cool. Yeah. And then the wax wings came in. Yeah, we, we got pretty good looks and I tried to get some recordings. Um, I have yet to listen to them, so they might be the intro or outro for this. Or they might be terrible. Or they might just be garbage and I might... Pretend like they never happened. Who knows? Um, but then, you know, we were, this is a birding weekend, so we were like, boom, 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 birding. Yeah. Um, got the, the bohemian wax wings, and then we are hungry, so we were like, well, let's head into Duluth. You know, there's a lot of breweries there. Yeah. Let's check one out. And as we were getting into, like, Duluth proper, everybody starts messaging that they want to go see Glaucus Goals in Wisconsin. And I was like, well, we got to add another state to Wisconsin's not that far away. It's just right over right over the bridge. So, went to the Wisconsin Landfill, which is apparently a very good place to go see goals, as mm-hmm. most landfills are, and got it. Yeah. it's We, we had that. We had one great black backed and a whole bunch of herring goals. Tons of herring goals <laughs> and, flying over. And added Wisconsin to the and list. And added Wisconsin to the list. And, oh, and flocks of, like, full flocks of bald eagles. Oh, yeah. Flying around. Gosh, there was, like, 15 of them at yeah, a time. at a time. Like, it was a, lo- a lot of bald eagles, which... I mean, you're far north, so it's bald eagles are pr- more more and more common the further north you go. But uh, but yeah, lots of bald eagles. 
We got lunch at Fitgar's, which was an actually really cool place to go. Yeah. And, you know, we only found it because Eric was like, you know what? Wisconsin, Minnesota, we need cheese curds. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to find beer and cheese curds. And I found this place called Fitgar's that is like, I think it used to be an old train station. There was one of the breweries that I was looking at. It was mm-hmm. an old train station. I think it was this one. But it's this like mall that has a restaurant, it has a hotel, it has a, you know, beer shop, it has, like, a whole a, bunch of stores. Yeah, a whole bunch of store, grocery, or uh, stores, and there was mm-hmm. also, like, a Mexican restaurant there, too. Um, but food was fantastic, beer yeah. was really good, and, and it was so interesting. And the cheese curds were somehow perfectly square. Oh my gosh. So they were more like cheese cubes on than and cheese on and curds. On. I've heard this, like, five times. <laughs> he was <laughs> really very, good. very excited they're, about the cheese cubes. The cheese cubes, and they're delicious. Yeah, Deep fried cheese cubes. Um, uh, yeah, it was a long day, got back to Alicia's and then the next day we kind of just went around and looked for more, um, or better pictures and yeah, try, trying to get pictures and stuff of, uh, of everything that we saw, which I didn't get any pictures of Hori Red Poles. Um, and I still have yet to even one. look at my pictures. Did you get I one? I got a video. Oh yeah, you did. When they were both on the feeder together. Yeah. Yeah. Did you post that on Facebook? I don't know. I need. I think oh. I need to clean it up. Oh, okay. But I, I, I still haven't had a chance to even look at my photos yet. So hopefully, hopefully I'll get a chance in the next couple of days, and then we'll see. see if I even got a single photo that was good <laughs> out of the like thousand that I took. Um. So then the next day we kind of wound our way back to Minneapolis because that's where we flew into mm-hmm. and had to fly out of. We went on some back roads that somebody suggested at the lodge. The the lodge, you know, there was it was like half of us were staying there, and then. Um, a handful of other folks and the cool thing about the downstairs is that it, it's like a living room so we all kind of just hung out there in the evenings and chatted mm-hmm. drank some beer and so we got to know other folks there really well um, and so this one gal suggested that we take this other route back to Minneapolis and then we could potentially get turkeys yeah so we did that got wild turkeys got uh, pheasants ringneck pheasants on that drive that, that was interesting just like 60 miles an hour just oh what's that and sla- well, slam on the brakes you almost hit the turkey the, tur- the turkey was like standing in the middle of the road <laughs> and then i tried to turn around and try to get a picture of it <laughs> it was a it, it wasn't in a hurry it was just kind of doop a doop a doop a doop as he was walking across in the field and behind trees and it's like well i missed it um so anyways we got back to minneapolis uh we ended up having dinner with some other friends in the Mall of America, which I want to go back to the Mall of America. I remember hearing about it, like, on the Travel Channel when mm-hmm. I was a kid, and I just really wanted to go explore it. But we didn't have time. Um, we had to fly out the next morning, but we definitely want to go back. Seriously. It was, it was fantastic. I, I had a great time. I want to go back to the Mall of America. I want to go back to Zaxenbog. And I, I could, I could go back to negative forty again. <laughs> um, so Sparky, the uh, founder and executive director of the Friends uh, of Zaxxon Bog, sent us over some information, like what we'd read you before, but also that ninety percent of the visitors come to this area in the winter. And last winter in 2019, 2020, they tallied almost six thousand folks. They came from almost every state and fourteen different countries that passed through their welcome center. Um, in a three-month month stretch. And that's that's not even counting, potentially not even counting the people that just go to the Admiral Feeders and mm-hmm. troll, the road, tro- troll the road for Great Grays. If they don't yeah. go to the Welcome Center, they didn't get counted. Yeah. So. Um, and their summer visitation is increasing. Um, we heard things like mosquitoes that potentially keep people away. But there are rare species like dragonflies and butterflies and orchids that you could potentially see there. And it is a great place to go see Connecticut warblers. So I would really like to go back sometime in the spring and see, you know, some of the 19 or 20 warbler species that breed up there. Yeah, or or see the um, the sharp tailed grouse on their legs. Oh my gosh, like, that was uh, so cool! Dancing and stuff that yeah. w- that would be that would be a lot of fun. I'm actually trying to talk Eric into buying some property up there so we can build our own lodge. You know, part of the <laughs> Tanninger family of hotels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just super cool. I never thought I would have so much fun up there. <laughs> I thought I, I would just have be so miserable. much fun in temperatures that are uh, deadly. Yeah, and I mean, granted. I was wearing five layers at any given time mm-hmm. um, and wasn't always comfortable because I didn't have a hat on all the time or gloves. And so those are definitely things that you need to, you need to be prepared when you go there. Yeah. And we 
I mean, we bought stuff. I panicked and bought extra stuff, and I'm so glad I did because I would have just been absolutely miserable had I not. <laughs> um, but it's, I feel like this location can be kind of overwhelming to folks. Like it was overwhelming to me. I was mm-hmm. glad to have Greg there to give us like how to, to tell us how to do this. Um, cause I feel like if you and I would have gone there by ourselves, we would have totally failed. Yeah. Yeah. De- def- definitely big thanks to, to Greg, um, from birding with Greg mm-hmm. uh, up there in Minnesota that he, he knew the area and he was able to keep us organized and give us, give, give us, us a lay of the land, give us the lay of the land so that on, on those last two days, we felt comfortable going off on our own and doing doing some stuff, but that that initial introductory I felt was very 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 useful. Mm-hmm, totally, yeah. So um, we encourage you guys to check it out if you ever get a chance, but make sure to do your homework before going out there and bundle up. And bundle up. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music. Alexa lamp. I think you've already used that one. I've already used Alexa chair. <laughs> your 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 Alexa s- chair warm my butt. Your your Siri sofa. Um, anywhere you listen to us, rate us, review, subscribe, all all that stuff. Um, if you if you'd like to connect with us, um, you can connect with us on the socials. Um, um, Hannah goes birding and Eric goes birding on Instagram. You've got uh, at we go birding on Twitter. We've got Hannah and Eric go birding and. On Facebook, or you can also email us, hannanericgobirding at gmail.com. We also have a website, gobirdingpodcast.com. Um, you can connect with us on all of those different ways. Um, tell us what you hated, tell us what you liked, and uh, share us with your friends.